welcome to What Is My Podcast About? For those of you who don't know, uh, What Is My Podcast About? is a podcast where we take kind of a deep dive into like a specific topic, discuss it at length until we can decide whether or not it is what we're going to make a podcast about. Haven't found a topic yet, maybe today's the answer. Eventually we'll make a podcast. I'm your host, Peter Akerley, and I'm joined as always by Matthew Grace. Hello. And Keith Ramsey. Hey. Our topic for today is the fourth movie in a classic childhood series, Toy Story 4. I'm just going to say right here, I don't think we'll be able to base an entire podcast series off of just this one movie. Matt, accept the process. This is happening. We're talking about Toy Story 4. It does pose a very interesting question, though. Can you guys tell me, what if Toy's real? Oh, God. Well, what if Toy's real, Peter? I'm going to cut you off real quick there, Keith. Toys are real. Toys aren't alive. (laughs) I'm doubtful, but maybe you can convince me otherwise. So did you guys have anything specific with regards to the movie that you wanted to talk about today? Uh, I guess I just kind of wanted to talk about specifically the series going up to this point and uh, kind of a little bit about the implications of some things done in this this, uh, installation of the series. I want to talk about the fact that the toys actually represent a parasitic invasion on human society. That, That seems rather deep. I just wanted to talk a bit about the plot. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe I'm glad toys aren't real. Once again, toys are real. I have several in my house. They just aren't alive. That you know of. That I hope to God based on what I've seen of this film. Well, so long as you don't have any Furbies. Alright, so shall we talk about the plot of the film to get everyone who hasn't watched the movie yet caught up on what's going on in this film? Yep. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> essentially, this movie starts off... Doesn't seem like it's too far after where we finished off with the third one. And in a sense, this is more of just the closing of Woody's story. Yes. Uh, Starts off where he's kind of down in his luck. He's, you know, the old guy, uh, past whatever he had to do as his task, and just trying to find a place. His child Bonnie ends up making a new toy that comes to life through uh, circumstances that are interesting, at the very least. Good old Forky. Despite the fact that he's just trash, literally. Yeah, he Uh, is literally trash that Woody fished out of the trash bin for Bonnie to make into a toy. Which, I want to add... I found completely hilarious that for the first half of the movie, he was trying to just throw himself into any trash can. Trash? I love him just aggressively, like, explaining to when he's like, I am trash! I belong in the trash can! Uh, anyways, Bonnie kind of really needs this toy, and Woody, in a way, kind of uses this to relive the glory days, and ends up having to save Forky. You know, in Toy Story fashion, toy gets lost, Woody just kind of fixes the problem, but it doesn't go quite as planned. And he ends up noticing an old flame of Bo Peep, who he ends up getting sidetracked about. And this large, convoluted plan involving lost toys, a voice box, and horrifying... Damn, what are they called? Uh, ventriloquist ventriloquist dummies. dummies. Oh, God. I love how they even play into the fact that they're horrifying. Like, they make them horrifying in the first half of the movie. The ventriloquist dummies end up kind of on the same side as the toys... And so they end up putting one in a baby cart and pushing it, and an old lady sees it and freaks the fuck out because it's a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love how freaked out the old lady gets by it as well. Also, on the ventriloquist dummies, I want to add, they can't talk. They can make mumbling sounds, but they can't talk, they can't make any words, alluding to the fact that they're ventriloquist dummies. They get yeah. their they, voice they, they, from whoever's handling them. Yeah, they kind of got like a lurch vibe yeah. from me. The, <laughs> like, uh, they're the servants of Gabby Gabby, the main... I guess, quote-unquote, villain of the movie. Gabby can apparently hear them talk, so can they actually whisper in her ear, or is she just insane? I mean, there's a few scenes where you see them whispering to her, and I think they did make grunting sounds here and there, too. Yeah, but never Uh, any words that we can hear. 
we also have experience with earlier toy film, uh, Toy Story films of characters who can't speak but can still be understood by other characters. There's been characters that have just made like weird noises and Woody's been like, that's right, I agree with you. Like, yeah, like a binocular. Yeah, the binoculars. Uh, RC. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess so. So I'm guessing it's just that not only are toys are real, toys are also in the movie alive and some of them speak English and some of them don't, but they all understand each other would be my guess. And none of the other people respond to the ventriloquist dummies because they're fucking horrifying. That makes sense. About as much sense as uh, living toys makes, anyway. I mean, if their voice is as horrifying as they look, I can only imagine. That might be why they're not talking. Yeah, it, they've got like a Banshee's whale voice coming out, and everyone's like, I don't want to interact with you guys! Uh, that I can imagine. Uh, I don't think I can imagine what their voice would actually sound like. <laughs> so, I'm going to jump in and talk about, with regard to the plot, a couple characters that I adored from this film. I loved uh, Duke Kaboom. The Canadian stunt driver uh, action figure, based on a real-life Canadian stunt driver. Um, Played by Keanu Reeves. He's voiced by Keanu Reeves. And (laughs) all of the Canada puns that they make, as a resident of Canada, I adored. Like, when he's talking about doing a job, he's like, Are you sure you can do that? Yes, I, Canada! (laughs) All of it is phenomenal. Rajon, his child. Just like the ridiculous Canada jokes that are made throughout his entire interactions with the other characters. I shed tears of happiness at that. I am a huge fan of puns. Yeah. (laughs) It was always a great part in the movie too when he was around. Uh, The first one that I laughed really hard at was when he was going on about like the commercial. And he's like, but it doesn't actually jump that far. It was a a commercial. commercial. (laughs) Yeah. Just fully acknowledging that like, yeah, it's not like it is at all. Okay. Uh, the other part that I just lost at laughing at was at the end during the Ferris wheel scene where they have to jump through the hole and they're convincing him that he yes he Canada and he's like yeah I can even do it with my eyes closed wait what no <laughs> and then he stands up and is riding on top of his motorcycle standing in a T pose and just wangs his head smashes off his the face top. off the side off the light making a tiny little kaboom might I add yeah. I also want to say it his character kind of alludes back to Buzz Lightyear in the original Toy Story movie. How he thought he could jump, but no, he can't. He can just crash. Buzz Lightyear thought he could fly, but no, he can just fall with style. Yeah, and they even make that as like, no, yeah, a lot of people can jump, but you can crash. Yeah. So speaking of laugh out loud funny moments, my second characters that I loved were Ducky and Bunny. <laughs> I I was on the fence about them at first. I wasn't sure how I felt. And then when it got to the scene where the toys have to discuss how they're going to get keys. <laughs> oh my god. And Ducky and Buddy described three different plans where they violently assault an elderly I was completely caught off guard. Yeah, the first the, one. The yeah. first one, I laughed my butt off. The second one, I was like, ah ha 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 ha. And then the third one, they go into this extended joke of explaining her, like, closing up the shop, driving home. The other toys are like... Where, where's this going, Ducky? Just let him tell the story. It'll be great. He jumps back into it. She's cooking dinner. She takes a bath, has a glass of wine, goes down to bed for the night, turns the lights off, and then you just hear her scream from outside the building. I lost it. Also, I believe that was called Operation Fluffy Rush. Yes. That was Plush Rush. A Plush Rush. Uh, uh, no, that caught me completely off guard their first plan because they're like okay here's what we're gonna do and then it just cuts away like okay they've explained the plan they're gonna do it the the old lady is just walking by after locking up the cabinet that they're trying to get into and sees the two stuffed animals the bunny and the duck on the shelf and then they just jump at her and just tackled her <laughs> around and start beating her up I'm like 
Are they actually doing this? Well, I also had the moment too of like, wait a second, toys can't do that. They have to stay still. And I was like, wait a second, Toy Story one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's my first thought. Like, toys have already owned it themselves. Maybe they're doing it again. Also, the payoff to that was still great too, where it's like all these plans about how they're gonna beat up this old lady to get the key, and then, and she, then she just, just leaves it in front of them. <laughs> and I love the fact that like. It shows that in a flashback while they're discussing how they got the keys. They're like, ah, oh, it, it was really difficult. We put in a lot of work to get these keys. <laughs> Drops it in front of them. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> oh, boy. So, uh, did you guys actually stick around to watch the post-credit scenes in Toy Story? Uh, oh, like the life uh, with Bo Peep afterwards? Yeah. So there's two of them. There's the life with Bo Peep. And then there's them, the ducky and bunny, growing to gigantic size and shooting lasers out of their eyes, destroying the entire carnival. So, can you guys really shoot lasers at a guy? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 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 we can. Oh, hilarious. I ended up seeing this movie in a theater packed with children, uh, where I'm an adult. That feels weird. I'm not really an adult. I'm like an approximation of an adult. I mean, this is like the second time this has come up, Peter. Should we worry? Anyways... In a theater full of kids, and I'm laughing my ass off at these dumb jokes, and the kids are just like, when are we getting back to Buzz and Woody? And I'm like, you don't even know Buzz and Woody, get over yourself. <laughs> you don't know them like I do. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and then my third character that I adored was Forky. Forky was hilarious. Oh, definitely. His entire, like, growth from just throwing himself into the trash can to, like, during his walk back to the RV park with Buzz, or not with Buzz, with Woody learning about Bonnie and being like, wait, Bonnie feels warm and cozy when I'm around? I'm her trash! And Woody's like, no, 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 you're her toy. She needs me! I'm her trash! It's just, like, so hilarious. Yeah, like, close enough, I suppose, going for it. Or just the conversations they're having. It's like, and he thought he was a real spaceman? Man, that sounds annoying. He, he thought the kids' room was another planet? I know, right? Everyone thought I was the crazy one. Oh, boy. Yeah, like, Forky just gave a great moment for, like, to, like, reflect on just some, like, the funny moments of the past. Yeah. Did you have anything else you guys wanted to talk about with regards to the kind of general plot before we get to any more specific details of the movie? Uh, nothing about the general plot myself. Uh, more of my stuff is just kind of things that connect the movies and just some character stuff. It's like, uh, I found the movie did... A much better job than the first and the second one at alluding to things that were going to happen. Like when uh, Bonnie and, or not Bonnie, but uh, Gabby Gabby and Woody first met when uh, Woody entered the antique shop to try to find Bo Peep. And they're talking and the screen zooms in from Gabby's perspective at the plate behind Woody and she notices the drawstring on Woody from his voice box. And then Gabby Gabby was interested in getting Woody to come with her and not leave the store. So that alluded to, okay, Gabby Gabby wants probably him, his voice box. Yeah, there's a lot of foreshadowing that they paid off really well. Uh, uh, one of the jokes that happened quite throughout the movie was the unicorn was trying to like, what if we get the father arrested? And then oh as soon as the car started like messing up at the end there and the sirens went on, it's like, my God. He's yeah, the unicorn jail, actually goes, yes, we're doing it! Like the unicorn actually reacts like their plan is working. Yeah. Which ties into my point, but yes, go on, Matthew. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, why... Why would that unicorn want the father to go to jail? <laughs> we'll like, talk about it later. Let's just move past. Okay. We're going to come back to this. But yeah, and uh, when Gabby Gabby points out to Forky her, quote, perfect child, the little girl that comes into the shop 
that her grandmother owns. As soon as she said perfect child, I'm like, okay, she's going to get a chance to be with that child at the end, near the end of the movie, and that child is just going to reject her. Well, that's the thing, like, even though the movie didn't have straight antagonists, because really at the end it ended up, like, she was kind of a good guy too, and she was had motivation for what she was doing. It wasn't malicious in a sense. Oh, yeah, uh, no. It that, was just they, born out of her desire to be with a child because she never had the chance because she was defective out of the box. Exactly. I think the, the whole scene, too, with uh, the girl that she wanted to be with rejecting her was kind of her comeuppance to punish her, in a sense, for all the stuff she did do to then later pay off her being a good uh, doll and being with that child at the end. Yeah, because yeah. that whole interaction where she was thrown away into a box, just, it just kind of broke her spirit, and it gave Woody one last chance to do something and finally do one final thing for a child is to get Gabby Gabby back up on her feet and find a child for her. Yeah, and that, that it kind of looked like pretty early on that, that was probably the way the movie was going to go. Mm. A, a few of the big twists, I feel, that were like built up to were pretty obvious. Uh, the big one, obviously, being that Woody becomes a lost toy at the end to stay yes. with Bo Peep. And that was foreshadowed from the very yeah, beginning. Yeah, right at the beginning, even before the movie started, I was like, well, this is probably going to end with Woody going with Bo Peep. And if they didn't reveal Bo Peep was in the movie, I probably wouldn't have caught that. Even with, like, you know, the little scene at the beginning where it's him in the box, like, her in the box, and she's being sent away. And he has the chance to go with her, and then he hears Andy, and he's like, well, I can't go. And then they even mirror that at the end of the movie, where he's about to leave again, but ends up coming back. I probably wouldn't have caught on if it wasn't advertised so much that Bo Peep was in the movie. Yeah, Bo Peep is one of the main leave. characters of the movie, yeah. And so, right from the beginning, I knew it was going to happen. Didn't mean it wasn't any more, less emotional, though, of course. Oh, God. Oh, I couldn't oh, no. handle it. And uh, It was a great moment, too, when uh, Buzz and Woody are having their final moment, and Buzz just says to Woody, she'll be fine. And I got me a little bit. I was like, Woody's like, I know she will, but Woody's a strong person. Like, That's like, not what he means. And, and, yeah, and then and Buzz like, is like, no, Bonnie will be fine. Oh. I was like, oh, Buzz, oh God. Buzz, you are a true gentleman now. <laughs> The only thing that would have broke me more if it would have started playing You Got a Friend of Me. Because honestly, I don't think that's a song that most people around our age can listen to anymore without tearing up. Nope, I ball <laughs> my eyes out every time I hear You Got a Friend of Me. <laughs> Toy Story 3 ruined it. Yeah. But also on Buzz, his inner voice, his conscience. I loved that whole bit. Like, Woody first explaining the concept of an inner voice and a conscience to him. And then the rest of the movie... Buzz just reaching over, pressing his chest, and hearing the voice, and it always being the perfect solution yeah. to his current situation. Yeah, because Buzz automatically thought that what he meant by his inner voice, it was the voice box, yeah. or his pull string. Uh, uh, now, that, like, I love the jokes and the payoffs for it, but there's a few issues I had with it, was Buzz seemed stupider in this movie than he did previously. Yeah. Buzz and got it, dumbed down a little bit. And it was due to that inner voice box thing. I feel like what should have happened is, I would have accepted it a lot more and enjoyed it as a part of the movie a lot more narratively if it had a sort of payoff. Because I thought when it started happening, the payoff that would be is Buzz was going to be in a situation where maybe his, like, you know, the voice box and him was going to be broken. And he had to make the call on his own. And that would be him essentially following his own thoughts instead of relying on the box. But that never happened. He just kind of relied on it for the whole movie. Yeah. The, I, despite that... I, I mean, I guess kind of when he said... Uh, your backpack's in the... <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think that, that was the payoff, was him pressing his button trying to find out how to get to the, the antique shop to pick everyone up, to have her freak out about the fact that it, she doesn't know how to shut it off, to him going, your backpack's in the antique shop! Yeah, that was a good point for realization to be reached by Buzz, when he realized, it's not my voice box, it's a voice actually inside my head telling me that this is the right thing I should be doing. Yeah, and the Buzz story felt to me like it was 
also alluding to the fact that Woody's going to leave at the end because it felt like he was falling learning. into leadership positions. Yeah, he was learning how to take over Woody's position. Or, yes, Woody's position. Speaking of the Buzz voice box, though, I still think my favorite moment, not necessarily my favorite moment, but one of the very funny moments, one of the very funny moments in the film uh, was after the toys all split up because Woody has made it clear that he cares more about getting Forky back than about making sure everyone else is safe. Even though that's not what actually is going on with Woody, that's how everyone else interprets it. And Buzz, like, standing there, like, what do I do? It touches the voice back. It's like, retreat, get out of here. He's like, no, that can't be right. And keeps pressing it. It's just different variations of go home. <laughs> the mission is over. Return the base. I also, that same moment, it was weird because that movie played with my emotions so much because I was laughing at that. And yet, like, 10 seconds before when Woody is talking about, like, you know the rules, no toys left behind. And then he walks back into the antique shop and Buzz is just like, but... You're leaving me behind. I started bawling, and then he starts pressing his buttons, and I immediately stop crying and start laughing. <laughs> Pixar just emotionally ruining us. Way that some of those voice box interaction happens, like, look to the stars! Like, looks up and immediately sees them jumping across. <laughs> <Yeah. my room. laughs> Alright, do we want to kind of talk about how this movie fits within all the previous movies in the series? Kind of your topics, Keith? Yeah, so the movie does go back quite a bit to some of the older stuff. In fact, the part of the opening scene is we get that first flashback to Bo Peep getting sold and then we kind of just get like a through the years to you got a friend in me of Andy playing with Woody and then it going to Bonnie's room yeah one of the connections that I, I was kind of curious about here though was there's a few toys that do disappear uh we'll find out what happens to RC and a few other characters in between the way but it's again the story's not really focusing on the toys it's more of Woody kind of Buzz and Forky yeah it, when it comes into connection to the other movies this movie implicates something very interesting about the toys, about how they come to life. Yes. So this is the first one that fully confirms the theory that toys come to life through love from a child. Yeah, so it seems it needs a child to bring them to life. And I, I think, I'm not sure, does it come down to the child have to write their name on their feet? Because that seems to be a trend in this universe, like in the universe that is the Toy Story world. I don't I, think so. Because I, back in the second Toy Story movie, there is the... Uh, like, there's Woody, there's Jesse, and then the third guy in the, the set. The Prospector. The Prospector was kept in box. He was still alive. He never had anything written on him. Oh, fair enough. I think... But what child loved that, then? I think it wasn't a child. It might not have been a need to be a child. It might just need to be a human's love. Yeah, because I think it was the collector loved his unique Prospector enough to cause it to come to life. On that note, though... With response to what you were saying about the marking on their foot, I don't think that's required for them to come to life. I think what that does is that signifies that it's a very important uh, toy to the child, and thus gives it so much more love, I guess. Just because of the fact that, like, Gabby does at one point refer to the fact that Forky's had uh, Bonnie's name written into his feet. That means he's very important, and he knows that Woody's going to come back for him. And the rest of the toys seem to respect any other toy with a name written on them so much more. Yeah, so we're getting like a tier class of toys in here. Yeah. There's oh, the toys these peasants that... without the names on their feet. Yeah, there's the wildlings that live in the sandbox. There's toys that have a child. And then there's toys that have a child and they're one of the children's favorite toys. And those are the toys that have their names inscribed on their feet. Also, speaking of uh, the toys in the sandbox, those goddamn G.I. Joes, <laughs> the winter one. Oh. oh my god, that was amazing. Like, the two of the, the three of them would be like, yeah, we're going to a birthday party. Five pinatas, there's gonna be so many kids there. And then the, like, sand one and the wood, or the green one, both, like, high five. And the winter one puts up his hand and looks around and no one high fives him. He's like, 
Okay, and he takes the hammer back down, and then it happens like twice more. Yeah, Woody high fives him. The other he walks up, and he's like, he actually walks up to Woody. He's like smiling. He's got his hand up, and it's like, come on, high five that man. Jesus, Woody, you're the good one. High five him. He means it so much. Don't leave him hanging. And he's probably still been left hanging to this day. <laughs> still hasn't been high fived all these years. It makes me want to go to sandboxes and find toys lying in sandboxes and just high-five them myself. I need to go high-five every G.I. Joe doll I can find. Of course, that's also how I end up with flesh-eating bacteria on my hand, by high-fiving random toys in sandboxes. <laughs> and uh, another interesting thing, too, about toys coming to life, we get to see two toys essentially come to life, in a sense, in the series. We see Buzz and yep. Forky. Forky, it goes into, like, a horrible existential crisis because he's trash that's sentient now. And Buzz thinks he's a spaceman. And throughout the series, we keep finding out that Woody is very old for a toy. Yeah. But he doesn't, like, seem to... But he doesn't seem to know how old he is. Which makes me wonder, when did, like, Woody come to life, essentially? So, there's actually an interesting theory about that, which has all all but been confirmed. Um... Except this movie actually ruins that theory, so I'll get into that. But the theory is that Woody is actually a prize that was, like, done in a sweepstakes for, like, Woody's Roundup the TV show. Mm-hmm. And Woody was a prize, and there was something like, collect ten box tops from the, your favorite cereal and mail them in, and we'll send out a toy. And it was actually Andy's father who won that competition. But the company went closed as soon as they, like, got halfway through the competition, but Woody, like, or Andy's father sent in a letter with, like, a very impassioned thing with all the box tops. I'm like, ah, uh, fuck it. We've got the one that we did for, like, the promotional videos. You can have that one. And they sent that to him, which is the theory of, like, how Woody happened. But then the theory continues that Andy's father then got really sick and never actually had a chance to play with Woody. So Woody never got the love from a child to come to life until Andy was exploring through his father's old things and found Woody. And then he, like, fell in love with Woody. Which is why Woody has no idea about Woody's Roundup or any of the Prospector stuff in the second movie. Um, but also does, like, have this long storied history and is also, like, unique. We see a whole bunch of other toys of most varieties and they're all fairly common toys if we don't see another one explicitly on screen. But we never see another Woody on screen or anything like that and that's why. Yeah, that makes sense too because it's very much Woody is Andy's toy through and through. So it doesn't seem like he had another child before that. Like, he was very much like, well, I was Andy's favorite toy. I was there with him for everything. But also, like, Andy clearly wasn't born in the early 50s, which is when it's confirmed that Woody is from. Yeah, and we also uh, find out that Andy had Woody before he went to school, too, because, as it's mentioned this point, he's like, yeah, Andy, like, definitely needed a friend to get through that first day. Yeah. That being said, this movie kind of messes with that theory a little bit, because part of that theory involves that in Toy Story 1, Andy's father has just passed away, and so they're moving home to like Andy's old father's house and that's part of the theory I don't know why it's a huge part of the theory but it is it's been a while since I read the theory I should have reread it before recording this podcast <laughs> but I'm bad at stuff and so Andy's father passed away just before they moved in and that's why they're like moving and all that stuff but at the beginning of this movie we see Buzz and Woody working together to save RC and then when they're climbing back up they see Bo Peep getting sold and Andy's father confirms with his sister, like, is it, you don't need Bo Peep anymore? And she's like, no, I don't need her anymore. And it's just like, okay, that ruins that whole theory. I guess Andy's father's alive and just not present for any of the first two films. Really? I didn't notice that. Was that Andy's father? I thought that was the guy taking it. 
I don't think they actually confirmed whether it was his father or not. Well, it was a different guy than the one who actually took it, so I'm assuming it's the father. It's fair it is an assumption, because Andy's mother first confirms with the daughter, the daughter says, uh, sure, and then a different man than the guy who actually ends up buying it says, are you sure it's alright if we take it? Or if they take it? Um, no, what does he say? He says, are you sure you don't need it anymore? And she says, yeah, I don't need it anymore. And then they take the toy. So it's possible it was a different man, but I'm pretty sure, or I believe at least, that that was the father, and that ruins the whole theory. <laughs> it definitely would be a weird thing to add him this late into the game, right? The father we're, we're, figure back into the story, and he just wasn't present for the first two We're films. way past the Andy storyline, but hey, there's the dad that we haven't seen for three movies. To be fair, the reason he wasn't included in the first film was because, if you go back and watch the first film, the humans look terrifying and so they wanted to include as few humans in the storyline as possible because toys if they look like they're made out of plastic that's a-okay if humans look like they're made out of plastic there's something wrong with your humans so they tried to include as few humans as possible which is why they didn't originally include the father in the animations but then they just like never got around to actually including him in any of the further films building up this theory that like he died just before the first film, and Woody got or Andy got Woody from him. I don't know. It's a movie. Yeah, I think the only two humans that fold up were fully modeled and showed up a lot was uh, what Sid, Sid and, and Molly. his sister. Yeah, not Molly. Uh, because Molly's Andy's sister. I don't remember don't, what. Yeah, Sid's I can't remember. Is. But yeah, they're the only ones who were fully shown in the movie, and it's fine with Sid looking like a freak because he was supposed to be this demented child. Fair enough. And you just end up with this impression that there's something wrong with the genetics in Sid's household. <laughs> I mean, his father's already a monster. Why not look like one, too? I mean, the sister didn't seem that bad. Yeah, I guess. Oh, um, I guess until the end when she scared the shit out of him with the doll. Just like, ha ha, I'm the one in charge now. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Sid. Can you imagine, just to talk about it now, because I've never thought about the implications of that one scene before, but... Can you imagine having a very traumatic experience where, like, toys come to life and terrorize you and tell you that they'll, like, eat your dreams in your sleep or some <laughs> shit like that? So play and, nice. And so you go and you find your little sister and you're like, oh my god, I'm so traumatized. I need to confide what I just saw in you because if I tell any adult, I'll be institutionalized. And your sibling's like, cool, I'm going to use that against you for the rest of your life. <laughs> hey, remember that time the dolls tried to kill you? Ha ha ha, they'll do it again! <laughs> I'll make them do it, I'll lock in a closet with them. <laughs> Which, uh, some other questions about, like, just the story as a whole. How the hell do you kill a toy in this universe? Yeah, because in this newest movie, there's a toy ripped in half by a cat, yet he's completely fine. Yeah, he's just chilling out the bar. He's, like, he's just laughing about the fact that his better half is somewhere else. Or in the first movie, we had doll legs and a fishing rod. A sentient toy. We had baby head on mechanical spider. Sentient toy. Okay, counter theory. Um, Sid was just a creative kid, of course, as everybody knows. Creative little engineering, trying out little experiments. Uh, the toys actually died in the process, which is a shame because he didn't know what he was doing. When he reassembled them into these weird monstrosities, he immediately fell in love with his creations, and that is the love that brought them back into the world for him. I don't think it's love for the toy that brings these to life. I think it's... A child's desire for a companion or something to play with. Or so something to need in some regard. Like Sid needed these toys to vent whatever, I guess, anger he had or whatever. The fact that his father beats him. Because mm -hmm. like in, yeah. Because like in uh, the second movie where they go to the toy store, 
every single toy is alive, yet there's no kids there to play with them. Also true. But there's hundreds of kids who go through there every day looking at all of these toys and thinking, I want that, I want that, I want that. Yes. And uh, another interesting thing on that, too, is it's implied that, like, if they are still, like, the toys that they were when they were ripped apart, does that mean, like, the other half of the Barbie that was, like, the fishing rod one is out there somewhere, a sentient? So it was like, is it two separate things? Like, is the fishing rod a toy that on its own that's controlling the legs and the upper half somewhere's out there on another, like, I don't know, some horrible monstrosity spider device? I don't think so. Just because of the fact that, like, we do see the toy that gets ripped to half in this one. And his head is, like, alive and talking to other toys. But his legs are just lying there dead. And it might be because, like, someone could walk in and see the legs. But I think it's just because the legs are dead. Yeah, you'd think that if the head was fine... It would have maybe not necessarily gone straight back to the bar. If it could have, it would have hid somewhere nearby, been able to see when the coast is clear for his legs to leave, and then try to scurry his legs back to him. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, yeah, I think the only time, like, I felt like the toys could die was in that incinerator scene at the end of 3. Oh, God. Also, no LGMs in this movie. LGMs? Yeah, the claw. The little oh, green ones? right. Yeah, because there are three of them that were with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. Didn't see yeah, present this weird. movie. Yeah, I didn't see any of them. Like, RC, I can see being gone because, you know, the year it's in the movie, not a lot of people use RC cars anymore. Uh, uh, so that was definitely a weird one. Uh, another interesting question is, we've seen throughout the movies, uh, Mr. Potato Head, this is specifically about his power, where he can put his uh, body parts into things and kind of move around with that. And we've yeah. seen trash become a toy. Where does it stop? Uh, I don't think it does stop, which is kind of my point about the parasitic invasion and the fact that... All right, fuck it. I'm just going to get into my point. No more dicking around. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> this is getting dark quick. So a couple things we can all agree on before we get into this. First things first, um, it is human emotion or desire or love or whatever that brings these things to life, right? Yes. We've seen Forky come to life from the fact that a kid created it and wanted it to be her toy. We've seen it happen with other things, I'm sure, like Mr. Potato Head sticking his pieces into an actual potato, and now the actual potato A potato, a tortilla. Yeah. I think a pylon at one point. I don't remember the pylon, but I'm sure it happened. Thing two we now also have to agree. At the beginning of the movie, during the flashback, Bo Peep says the words... Toys go missing all the time, implying that Woody can just walk away and no one will think anything of it. Or she's a serial killer. Meaning that, in my mind most likely, toys have done that shit before where they just up and leave under the assumption that the family will think it's gone missing. So toys are brought into life from like the emotions of humans. They stick around with the humans so long as those emotions continue to feed them. And the moment they're not getting what they need out of the human, they up and leave regardless of how it impacts the human. Like, RC car was going to be lost in the rainstorm, so they, like, go through all this effort to, like, drag him back into the house, even though Andy forgot him out there. And Andy is not, like, freaking out about the fact that, where's RC car? They're doing it for RC car's benefit that they're going through all the effort to bring him back inside the house. Woody seriously considers leaving Andy as a child to go with Bo Peep, even though... Andy absolutely would freak out. And he knows this before Andy starts freaking out. He knows Andy would freak out because he knows about the relationship he has. True enough, but we also know because if we're getting dark, toys fuck. Yeah. Yeah, And he almost went with Bo Peep for that reason. But then he heard Andy calling for him. He's like, okay, I can still get something out of Andy. Yeah, so (laughs) it's... I don't 
love the fuck. fact I I don't love the fact that we just commented on the fact that toys fuck and then Matt said Woody can still get something out of Andy. I don't love the fact that our conversation just happened that way. <laughs> I accept it and I want it to continue, but I don't love it. Just to like put that out into the universe. Um, it's a beautiful natural thing. Toys fuck. Get get used to it. So. Uh, my whole thing is that this story kind of builds a world where these toys are siphoning off energy from human beings to be given life, and then they do with that life whatever they want, regardless of how it impacts the humans. Like, the toys in later on in the movie, they all are talking about how they want to go to school because it's the first day of school. Dad comes in and tells Bonnie, oh, toys aren't allowed at school, kids. Sorry. And so Bonnie leaves. And then the toys are like, oh, let's sneak into the bag and go. And then the mayor of the toys is like, no, we can't. You heard dad. Toys aren't allowed at school. That's the rules. And that is the moment when Unicorn starts talking about getting dad arrested. <laughs> the moment dad's in between uh, the toys and Bonnie, Unicorn wants dad out of the picture so that they can have more time with Bonnie. Huh. If dad's gone, then we're in charge. <laughs> exactly. It's toys are the most self-serving species in any of the uh, Pixar universe. So if you believe in the Pixar theory and they're all set in the same continuous timeline, part of that toys uh, that timeline involves the fact that like inanimate things live side by side with humans during the time of Toy Story, and then at some point in time, humans get shucked off the planet, and it's just cars on the planet, and then it's just Wally on the planet, and humans eventually come back after Wally like fixes up the planet real good. Toys are the ones, the only one we see acting sentiently at the same time as human beings. And we can see how human beings got kicked off the planet. Because those toys are selfish as heck. And they're doing whatever they want to get rid of those humans. So that the world can be better suited towards serving the toys. And I assume all other inanimate objects that are actually living throughout this shared Pixar universe. Like the cars. Yeah. This does create... My new favorite headcanon for actual life, which is anytime I have a thing and it goes missing, I'm assuming I cared about it, it came to life, and it was like, ha ha ha, you care about me? Fuck you, I'm out. If I can't find my keys, my keys are hiding from me because they're assholes. <laughs> yeah, that's reasonable. Actually, at the same time, going back to the potato head thing, I wonder how, like, massive you can get this going. Like, if you, like, you slap the eyes onto a <gasps> building, does the building move now? To Mr. Potato Head, like create this okay pixar theory how the humans actually got kicked off of the planet potato head on the moon potato head uh gets a coalition of different toys to work together to spread themselves around the globe and stick like his different pieces into different parts of the earth so that he encompasses the whole entire earth so he became the earth <laughs> and just told the humans to leave it's like oh. you are not welcome anymore he just shakes very hard and they all fall off yeah <laughs> that's why they're in space and wally yeah that's horrifying to think <laughs> of the scale that mr potato head can go to he just like sticks himself into random points in space and then the entire universe is mr potato mr potato head he might be the strongest being in existence he might be the one that they're going to have to get to defeat Galactus in the future of the MCU. <laughs> they give, they've given him this much power, but he still has one awful weakness. As soon as someone takes his eyes, he's done. That's <laughs> true. So uh, one thing I will say is, going into this movie, uh, there was definitely a lot of ideas of like, is this going to be a good movie or a bad movie? Just for the simple fact that Toy Story 3 did very much wrap up the storyline very well, I found. Uh, but when I got into this, I, I started realizing this was a story to end woody's 
tale yeah. within the universe. Because yeah. one through three was pretty much Andy's story featuring Woody, Buzz, and the rest of the toys. And this one seemed more of finishing off Woody's story now that Andy was gone. Yes, uh, that was definitely my opinion too. Was Toy Story 1 and 2 were very much Andy's story. Toy Story 3 was the acknowledgement that Andy's story is coming to a close and how do the toys kind of cope with that information. So it didn't focus on Andy so much, but it focused on the kid, uh, the toys coming to terms with Andy growing up and not needing toys anymore. And then it really did close off toy, uh, Andy's story and left with the toys in a new position. But like, obviously, if a little girl gets all bunch of toys from a boy that's like 20 years older than her they're not going to be as loved as like the toys that she has that were bought specifically for her like her unicorn toys she's going to love probably more than the old cowboy that she gets from a guy but uh, the old cowgirl the old cowgirl she likes uh so i think it's i had similar concerns before seeing the movie of like is this them just trying to like make more money is there any like sense for this within the story uh but actually watching it i all of those fears went away it felt like it fit perfectly within the story yeah now that i've seen the movie i can say that this is one of two things for the series one since woody was essentially the main character from the beginning from toy story one yeah this can be counted since this is essentially woody's conclusion this can be the conclusion entirely of toy story or you can just look at it as, this is Woody's conclusion, but Buzz, as we said, is now in a leadership role, the leadership role that Woody used to have, and now there is opening for other directions for them to go in, with just not Woody. Or Woody is a side character who is now some vigilante who frees these toys who just want to be loved by children. That's the thing, the story can, if it wants to continue, go following Woody as he goes through adventures with Bo Peep, which I don't know if I would enjoy, uh, like I can see like a lot of good storylines they can do, but I feel like it that gets old really quickly if they try to do that. Or we can even follow Buzz and the rest without Woody, yeah, which would be more interesting because we've had enough of Woody at this point. And then there's the Spoon Lady that shows up at the end. Knifey, 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 knifey. knifey. Um, also, who that asks that... the most important question: <laughs> Why am I alive? <laughs> you have to go. Why am I alive? I don't know. <laughs> So, Keith, I know you're kind of the king of questions on this podcast, and you like to bring up, like, different thought-provoking questions. Uh, I have one for you guys, though. Is it how do toys fuck? It's not how do toys fuck. Good. It's if they were to make, like, spin-off miniseries about, like, a singular toy and the adventures of this singular toy, what toy would you want to see them make a story of? Rex. You want to see them a, a, a Rex movie? Yes. Or not a Rex movie, a Rex miniseries? A Rex miniseries. I, it's not within the Toy Story filming from my memory. There probably was one at some point. I really want to see them make a Furby miniseries with, set within the Toy Story universe. And just Furby, a destroyer of worlds going okay. around tearing other so, toys. So you are on a psychological right. horror from the perspective of the sentient right. Furby that talks into your closet when you think it's goth. Yes. I'm, I'm glad that's the direction you're going with Furby. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I'm having a happy-go-lucky Furby miniseries. Okay. So it doesn't have to be a toy in the movies already. It just needs to be a toy uh, in general. A toy in existence that they could make a miniseries about set within the Toy Story canon. Okay. Actually, it's already in the universe and I wouldn't mind seeing it. But at the end of Toy Story 3, or not the end, the beginning, when the plastic army men make a beeline for it because mission's over, I want to see where they go. <laughs> that would actually make an incredible story. I also, I kind of want to see them do, I, it'd be weird and t 
terrible but also amazing because of how bad it is. If they did like a pre- not necessarily a prequel, but the idea of like a prequel miniseries set before the world of Toy Story, uh, and have just like yo-yos that come to life <laughs> and like shit like that, a spinning hoop, a spinning top that comes to life, <laughs> and just like them just sitting there being like. Why? <laughs> Another interesting one we could follow that's already in the universe too is Other Buzz that had the Star Wars moment with Zerg. Right. Yeah. Toy Story 2. Just uh, curtains out of the movie by uh, playing catch with his father. Yeah, that's the last time we see him there. He's like, hey, you want to come with us, Buzz? No, nah, I got a lot of catching up to do with my dad. Go along, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, I'm not sure if I'm upset about it, but they didn't do the... Uh, outtake jokes at the end of the uh, uh, movie as well. Yeah, those were pretty classic in the previous ones. They did have... Like, I really enjoyed the post-credit scenes, though. I think they... Oh, yeah, it felt very much like they were wrapping up Woody and they just wanted to, like, show, like, oh, everything's fine after he leaves the carnival. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I bet as soon as this movie hits DVD video, there's going to be special features with outtakes. Yeah, they'll probably do a bunch of the outtake jokes and all that through it. Uh, Also, uh, going back through the series as well, looking back on it, it's just uh, so funny to see their interaction with windows change throughout the series. First one, falling out the window is absolutely the worst thing that can happen. Falling out, uh, uh, second one, going outside the window, bad things happen all the time because, you know, the toys get taken, Woody ends up getting pulled away during the yard sale. Toy Story 3 is, we have to go out the window sometimes because it's always a serious matter. To Toy, Toy Story, Story 4, 4 <laughs> yeet, just jumping out the window. <laughs> window, just another exit. The, the mayor toy even says, why does everyone keep jumping out windows? Um, it's just like which I, another I, day for them now. I love the idea of that just because of, like, yeah, to them, like, they've gone through the process of, like, windows are bad to slowly reaching the point of, like, the original crew being like, no, windows... We gotta, we gotta use it because, like, it's our best line of defense right now and it's our way to get out without being noticed. Whereas the mayor's still stuck in the mindset of, no, windows are bad. We haven't had the time to discover that windows are okay. <laughs> because uh, speaking of your toy revolution, that's probably the empowerment. It's like they realize, wait a second, windows don't have all the power anymore. And the outside world is so much better than a ch- child's bedroom. Uh, debatable. Well, to the older toys, yes. To the newer toys who just found the love of a child... Yes. They to the, stay. Oh. To the ones still filling off the child's life energy. Yeah, to the ones that have uh, not used up their stores of child love and have boundless energy inside of them, yeah, exploring outside is great. To the old ones who are on their last lives and like, no, I need to stay near the child in case he gives out spare love. Outside less great. I do kind of... I don't know. I really like the way the toys kind of fuck with the humans a lot more in this one than they did in previous yeah. ones. But like, there's a little bit of messing with humans in the first one uh, with Sid. Yeah, there's the but, big Sid moment at the but end. But that was like it. Yeah. And then there wasn't a huge amount of like direct interactions with humans. Yeah, and the toys spent so much effort to put themselves exactly where they were before when the kid left the room. Or when Whereas they were last seen. This time, it's just toys fucking with humans all through the film. Dad's trying to drive the car. Nope. I'm going to pretend to be the GPS and tell him where he's going. <laughs> oh, he's ignoring the GPS because he realizes something is up. Turn right now! <laughs> Pulling on the gas pedal to force him to drive forward. Reckless endangerment by these toys. Yeah. Or even the goddamn, uh, the part at the end where it's like, Forky, we need you to watch the door. He's constantly hitting the lock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, people always get that giant-ass doofy look on his face with the grin. Uh, that and, like, they're on top after, like, what he said his goodbyes. It's like, oh, I'm going to miss you most of all, Forky. And then Buzz is like, Forky? 
if you're here, who's watching the log? And then it just starts driving away. <laughs> God. Uh, that and, like, I, I like how it's mostly the old Andy's toys who have gotten to this point. And it kind of shows that, like, as toys grow up, they have different opinions on this whole situation. Whereas, like, in the first films, yes, it's very much so avoid interactions with humans, pretend to be just toys and all that stuff. And then we get to, toy at uh, the end of Toy Story 1, they fuck with Sid a little bit, but then they kind of go back to pretending to just be inanimate toys around humans. I don't know if they fuck with anyone specifically in th- 2 or 3, though. Yeah, they don't really fuck with anyone. They, like... They don't fuck with him, but they do definitely ruin the collector's day. Yeah, they ruin Al's life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get to the fourth one, and like, I like how Andy's original toys have now had the experience of, we fucked with Sid and nothing bad happened, and arguably only good things have come from this. <laughs> let's corrupt these toys that belong to Bonnie into messing with the father and getting him arrested. <laughs> yeah, let's screw it. We can talk in front of humans, they won't care. We can do whatever we want and get away with it. <laughs> First it's, you know, your backpack is in the antique shop, and it's like, maybe you should buy another Buzz Lightyear doll. Buy Buzz Lightyear. Buy my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Buy Zerg. There can be only Zerg. Buy another computer. Buy more toys. Buy a Whispering into Bonnie's ear, she's like, tell your parents to buy more toys. I love them. If they say no, just kill them. I love the idea of them. Just crush them. Like, doing that while Bonnie's sleeping, just like, coming up and whispering in her ear, like, buy more toys tell your parents to buy more toys if your parents don't why am i whispering the mic's probably not going to hear that very clearly they're like whispering into bunny's ear like buy more toys buy more toys tell your parents to buy more toys if your parents don't buy toys tell the police that daddy touched you and they'll go to jail (laughs) (laughs) that's specifically unicorn that's unicorn like they give unicorn the duty once and unicorn just ruins Uh, what if like the toys start using this to like for like sort of like political manipulation within like the toy hierarchy it's like oh jesse's the favorite toy you don't like jesse anymore jesse's an old toy (laughs) you know who you really like unicorn unicorn's great i love unicorn i also love like the insane competitiveness that was going on at the carnival where it was like this is like a one-way ticket into a loving child's house and so, so many toys are, like, fighting over the position to, like, be the top toy. But also, like, if you've been to a carnival, top toy is a terrible position to be in. Because you're going to hang there for, like, a year and never get one because those carnival games are rigged as shit. Oh, definitely oh, yeah. true. <laughs> I do enjoy the fact that the, those toys were going out at the end in the end credit scene so quickly. And, like, those kids definitely knew they weren't hitting those targets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were just getting free toys. Yeah. And they knew it. I also, did anyone actually pay the Carney guy when they were playing that game? I don't think so. No, they didn't. Honestly, I feel like even if someone did pay the Carney, the toys would have just pickpocketed it out of him and used it on, like, yeah. drugs or something. Because, as I've said, toys don't care about the humans around them. They're just in it for their own games. Actually, there was some, thinking back to there were some pretty dark scenes in there, too. Like, when they were making the escape from the antique shop the first time. And there's the whole joke about Bunny being dead. And then you look over and there's the stuff. He's like, wait, is that what we look like on the inside? Is that me? Yeah. There's so much fluff. Or uh, what is it? Uh, one of the sheep loses its foot and doesn't get addressed, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we see Bonnie lose her arm and she just tapes it back on. She that that was a... Gr- uh, not Bonnie. Uh, Bo uh, Bo 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 but that was Sorry. a great scene because like arm comes up. Ah, ah, no, I'm just messing with it. It happened months ago. Also, now that I've accidentally said it... How much more horrifying of a scene would it have been if it was Bonnie who lost her <laughs> and just taped it back on? 
Uh, that's in the Furby uh, playoff. Yeah, that's the Furby miniseries. Where Furby has worked its way into Bonnie's body and is now controlling her like a human meat puppet. Yeah. No, please. Also, dibs on that from a band name, Human Meat Puppet. <laughs> Definitely making a band with that, isn't it? I mean, why stop at a band? Just name whatever you're doing, Human Meat Puppet. <laughs> please, no. Uh, welcome to my improv show. Uh, we are Human Meat Puppet. What are we doing for you guys today? <laughs> Just like get business cards. It's like Peter, the Human Meat Puppet. <laughs> Furby. Human Meat Puppet, uh, or Peter Human Meat Puppet piloted by Furby. No one would ever talk to me again. Horrifying. It is. It's terrifying. Why would you come up with that? Okay, so let's drop it right now. <laughs> Speaking of Human Meat Puppets, have we gotten any messages from Katie about Matt recently? <laughs> well, I think uh, she was just going to wear his voice, not necessarily him. That's fair. I don't have a voice box. I don't have a voice box. I mean, technically. I mean, yeah, but I'm not, you're not getting out this easily, Matt. Uh, so I, I guess going over this then. Uh, even though Toy Story 4 kind of like finishes off a lot of story things, forgetting the animation, what do you think is the best movie now in the series? Honestly, I'm sorry if this is your guys' favorite, but I think the one I would discount the first would probably be Toy Story 2. I actually fully agree with you. Yeah, that yeah. one's the most forgettable to me. Yeah. I'd probably put it between 1 and 3. 4 was good. It wasn't my favorite, though. 3 just hit me so hard in the feels while watching it that... I still go back and watch it sometimes. And Toy Story 1 was a phenomenal movie, and it oh, started the whole thing. Doesn't look the best, but it still holds up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was... I actually went back and watched Toy Story 1 today, this morning. And it's groundbreaking CG still. Like, uh, not compared to what we do today, but at the time, that oh, was, yeah, like, compared, amazing. Compared to the other films using similar techniques back then, it looks phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Toy Story 1 was definitely my favorite also. Toy Story 4 close second because I actually never seen Toy Story 3. <laughs> okay. And you put Toy Story 4 at the bottom then of the th three that you've seen? No, I'm going to assume Toy Story 2 is at the bottom. Okay, I thought you said... Because Toy Story 2 wasn't that great. I loved the whole Star Wars stick of, hey, I finally found my dad. Let's go pull a catch. I mean, that was the really fun part of it too, was the whole everything from Al's Toy Barn to them freeing Woody was like the good part. So like the last third of the movie was like the part I was like yeah this is really good yeah but and then like there was the really like really intense airplane scene where they had to jump off the plane yeah got a little bit mission impossible there at one point but yeah no toy story one was the best followed by toy story four in my opinion i, I think i'm on kind of a similar boat i have seen toy story three though but i, I think as well. uh, it still goes the first one for me i think it's a close one between three and four with four and i don't i don't know if it's just because recency of it but i like the more contained story of uh where four went where it was following a, a strict storyline for the whole thing whereas three even though it did go have a straight through story i think it tried to focus on a lot of characters it tried to tie down a lot of the story from the first two yeah which mind you there's amazing like so many amazing moments in that one such as spanish buzz Lightyear, uh the uh sock monkey yes. or not sock monkey, the, the whatever they're called the one with the tambourine not the tambourine out of the symbols yeah the little Clang, 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 clang. Monkeys. Oh, and just Ken. Yes. Ken was great. I think, yeah, I think one's definitely my favorite. And I think it just comes down to what mood I'm in for between three and four. If I'm in for, like, having a laughy fun time, I think I'd probably pick four. If I want to feel emotions, I'd probably pick three. Because I think four, there were, like, some sad points, but it was, there were far more funny points that had me laugh. I giggled during that movie surrounded by children who were in abject silence i was like am i the child right now <laughs> no they just don't understand how ridiculous this joke is right well, now i also think like even though toy story 4 was very much a kid's movie 
they realize that a lot of people of our age group who grew up watching the Toy Story movies when they came out, I mean, hell, we technically grew up at the same rate as Andy did within the universe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's also what I kind of liked about Toy Story for, is that it kind of tackled, I guess, more adult kind of plots and uh, morals to it. Like, always do what you think is right, and sure, what other people, or other people matter too, but you always have to do what's best for you. Uh, like at the end, it's like, oh, is Woody a lost toy now? It's like, no, he's found himself. <laughs> yeah, he's finally found himself. Yeah, he's finally found his purpose in life. Actually, I take it back. Uh, a spinoff series of just Sheriff Woody in the wild helping toys. Like, th that could be a, a TV show. He's not Sheriff anymore. Jesse's the Sheriff. <laughs> He's still Sheriff Woody to me. <laughs> He's Ranger Woody now. <laughs> oh, it's like a cross between Toy Story and Gremlins. And it's just like him making like bow and arrow out of random things and like hunting animals in the wild <laughs> and saving toys from feral cats. Like he goes to camping grounds where people pull up and finds toys that were forgotten at the camping ground. <laughs> Also, I can only assume his job now involves, like, a 100% increase and fucking with kids like Sid. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely, like, traumatized multiple children at this point. Is Woody gonna become a Caesar-esque character in this universe and that's why people leave? Yeah, I, I can see that. Just take over the planet, for, uh, Planet of the Apes style. It'd be easy for a toy to get into places that... Well, we've already seen he has great infiltration skills from him getting trash out of the trash can to make Forky out of... He very carefully sneaks over there, grabs the crayons, and the... Yeah, he's good by himself, and not with company. When he's with other people, bad things happen, like sheep losing legs. To be fair, I think that was also a lot of him, his kind of learning process of how to go from kind of king of his domain to out in the wild where he doesn't fully understand everything. Yeah, a lot of the issues were also very much too of everything for the kid, but not taking into account what the other people around him needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Although, as I've already said, I don't think he cares about the kids super much. It was more so him finding something for himself that kept him close to the kids so that he could get what he needed out of the kids. Yeah, because what was important to him was making sure the kid was happy. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, well, I, I also got very much the vibe that Forky and all of the thing he was doing for Forky was kind of him vicariously living through Forky. Yeah. Uh, which was very apparent when she was sleeping and she starts calling him and he just kind of forgets about Forky and then Forky's in the trash in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, definitely good ending to the story of Woody yeah. and everything as it goes. Uh, very much a retiring for him in a sense. Yeah, I don't think... I would not be surprised if they made future Toy Story movies. I wouldn't be surprised if they had Woody show up in future Toy Story It'd movies. It'd be weird if they made a Woody-centric Toy Story movie, though. <laughs> they, they have, like, a, just a, a throwaway scene in one of the movies where we have, like, kind of, like, old man Captain America from Endgame where it's, like, this old toy Woody. It's like, I'm here to pass on the badge that I now have back again. Or the hat. Here's my hat. It's like, this badge doesn't feel right. You should take it back, Woody. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> um, I also... Here's Captain America's shield that I have for some reason. <laughs> Full size, he's like barely <laughs> lifting it off the ground. He just rolls it wherever he's going. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen he has the technique from the frisbee in the carnival. Yep. Or uh, not the carnival, the playground. I think it was Bo Peep, actually. That, that, was, that Bo was Bo Peep, but he clearly learned from her, and he's going to be able to do that with the That's shield true. himself. Yes, because Bo Peep's falling apart. He's going to have to take over at some point. Oh my god. Bo Peep's the Winter Soldier. She's already missing the air. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just set it on a plot uh, develop. Uh, I guess the only difference is, clearly, if anyone was Iron Man, it would be Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. He didn't die horribly at the end. I don't... He's... Uh, Iron Man in mechanics 
But in sheer stupidity in the film, he's definitely not Iron Man. He he's, was, he's more of an Ant-Man. He's more of an Ant-Man. He allows the plot to progress. And Forky's clearly Spider-Man. Forky is clearly Spider-Man. Oh, good old Sporky, man. Well, we've cracked the code. All the Disney movies are the same now. If it's owned by Disney, it's the same plot. Same universe, too. Apparently. We can actually do an episode of Boat Star Wars Episode Nine now, because we know what the plot is. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, Star Wars Episode Nine. It's not out yet, but we so Ray's gonna it. retire and pass her lightsaber on to, I guess, Finn. Yep, she's gonna pass her lightsaber on to Finn. Uh, He's going. I don't know how to use this. Last time I touched this, I got stabbed in the back. At some point in time, Poe is gonna lose his arm and get like a replacement. Make a joke about it falling off. I mean, granted, that's pretty much already guaranteed to happen because of the fact that, you know, it's Star Wars and someone loses a limb pretty much every movie. All right. Thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, once again, this is What Is My Podcast About? We are three delightful young lads. I don't know why I keep referring to us as, like, young. Like, we're technically adults. Technically. Uh, if you have any ideas about future topics we could discuss for podcasts, we always appreciate help. So please email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. Spelt the way all of those words are normally spelt. Find our podcast on all major podcast services. Make sure to rate and review. Yeah, super helpful when you guys rate and review. Like, throw down a like, give us five stars. Or, you know what? If you don't think this was a five-star episode, give us one star. It'll really hurt my feelings, but it helps all the same for us to get honest feedback. And if you tell us how we can improve, we'll do our best to improve. And if you're a sentient toy listening to the podcast... Keep that shit to yourself. I do not need to know that you exist. I mean, I kind of want you just to write a review and just, like, put, like, a code word in there. So we'll know. Eh, take Peter's keys. <laughs> yeah, just there's no, no, no like, hey, heard Peter's missing his keys. Wink. I got them right here. I'm safe. I know. Not letting go. A review can happen at any point, Peter. I know. And I'm, when you see that review, hey, Peter, where your keys go, wink face, you know exactly what happened. No. I, I, I refuse. I refuse to let go of my keys for the rest of time. Hey, Peter, where'd your keys go? Where the fuck are they? <laughs>